You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. I know, right? Crystal clear audio. It's true what they say. The the microphone really does add 75 pounds. Anyway, um, I need to thank someone in particular for the the new visual, you know, the new cameras for the visuals. Uh, this person wants to remain anonymous, but I just want that person to know how grateful I am for their, their kindness and their charity. For those who are just listening, you're going to want to head over to YouTube for this particular episode because there's a lot of visuals there. Um, I want to preface this by saying this is the first of two major announcements coming, uh, of course, right now and then one next week. So you're going to want to be here for those. First, I want to thank you, the listener, for for coming along with me on this journey. Um, you have been so gracious, so kind, and so uh, forgiving in a lot of ways. Because some of those early episodes, man, they were rough. And I know they couldn't have been all that pleasant to listen to because of some poor audio quality. So again, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank my guests. They've made the show as well. Um, it's not hard to find someone smarter than me. It is hard to find someone (laughs) smarter than me who can really articulate these principles that we've talked about. Now, I want to make clear, not much is changing with the podcast. It's still going to be about 80 to 90% about Mormonism and Mormon gospel and Mormon history and, uh, all those things. And then still about 10 to 20% about the freedom of stuff. Um, but I come to you today specifically with this because i'm not a trained interviewer and i'm not a trained broadcaster um i did a lot of checking in with the lord throughout this process and towards the end of 2022 and about december i felt the need to really deepen and strengthen my my prayers to the lord regarding this and so i I asked the lord am i doing what you want me to still am i is there things you want me to change with the podcast what am i supposed to do differently and the answer was really it caught me off guard the answer was the time for being passive is over um for me as well as the audience I want to tell you, there are times that that I can feel you, the audience out there. I feel like we've come to know each other. And I know that sounds strange, and I didn't see this part coming. I haven't met 99% of you, but the ones I have, you are tremendous people. And I am so grateful and so blessed that you're along with me for this. I really did think it'd be me and like eight other listeners. But uh, to my surprise, it's it's kind of caught fire. So as I was talking with the Lord and said, what is it you want me to do different? And I received that answer. It's, it's time to get active. The time for being passive is over. I wondered what that meant. And as I hit my knees again to ask, the Lord made it very clear that we are now living in the times prophesied by Joseph Smith, where the Constitution is hanging by a thread. And that's one of the places we have to get active. As I tried to figure out what that meant and how we were supposed to get active, I I wasn't coming up with anything. The Lord just said, wait, I'll tell you what to do when it's time. A few months after that, Joshua Erickson came to me and asked me if I would be willing to speak at the Restoration Torah Conference put on by the Zarahemla Foundation. I agreed, and the topic was America's place in the Torah. 
And so as I hit my knees again and then got up to write the talk, what I found is, is that the talk wrote itself. And so this podcast, this episode is my record, uh, the recording of me speaking at the Restoration Torah Conference about America. And throughout that, you're going to notice that there's three steps that we as Mormons can do to become active and um, help save the Constitution and do our part. Uh, fortunately, none of it, re- none of it uh, involves us riding out of the mountains. So we're, we're fortunate that way. We, this is all stuff you can do at home. And so these three steps are, are, are talked about in this, um, in this talk. Now, after the, th- there's certain parts of this talk because it was recorded live. It's a little bit rough, but I think I cleaned it up as best as I could. However, to make sure that the point gets across, I have included a written version of my talk. And you can find that in the show notes as well as a blog post at the bottom of my website. Don't leave as soon as that's over. I have some concluding remarks where I'm going to uh, show you some tools that you can use to help in in getting active and uh, saving the Constitution. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. Did I make you mad? No, no, you're good. By now, everyone should pretty much know. Yeah. So Dave Sanders was born in Petersburg, Alaska, parents who were not Mormon of any type. His family moved to the lower 48 in 1987 and settled in Colorado and then in western Idaho. Passing of Dave's father in 1991 caused him to begin questioning what happened to his dad after his death. After a long search, he found Mormonism, which gave him the answers he was looking for and he joined the LDS Church. He was a member of the LDS Church for just over 20 years, where he served in a variety of callings, from teacher to a member of the bishopric. Through such, uh, through some experiences, David had, to, had he discovered that there were some problems and uh, uh, inconsistency in the LDS Church, and this led him to the uh, fundamentalism. The restored gospel is still the pillar upon which his life and family are established. He's been married to his wife, Amber, for 27 years, and his wife, Tanya, for just about four months. He has six children with Amber, three children, three grandchildren, and loves to spend time with them every chance he gets. By profession, he has been a land surveyor for over 20 years, like George Washington. And this profession has allowed him to live and work in states from Idaho to Maryland and quite a few spots in between, and has allowed he and his family to do some pretty cool things. When he is not working or hanging out with his family, he can most likely be found reading whatever he can get his hands on about Mormonism or talking to really great people about the gospel and the Mormon renegade podcast. Is that your word? That's mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going to have something to say. <laughs> With the hosts, his presentation is titled The American Covenant, a Continuation of Israel's Story. Welcome. Okay. 
it was really hard not to throw like smoking meat into that description, but I think you can figure that out by my code. Um, first off, I just want to thank Joshua for inviting me. He's been so gracious as we've done the podcast. He's been on five or six times as he's talked about these days and that sort of stuff, and I'm just continually fascinated with it. Um, before I start, I think a little bit of backstory is probably um, pertinent on why it is I chose this topic. My life is a series of inflection points. You know, one of those was certainly when my dad passed and it started to cause me to look for the truth. I remember I talked to a, a minister just hours after my dad passed, and we weren't particularly religious. And I just said, what happened to my dad? And he said, well, unless he said the magic words on his deathbed, not much we can do. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem right. So that, that caused a search. But there's been others. Certainly when I met my wife, Amber, um, when I converted to the LDS church, uh, when I started having kids, I converted again to a different form of Mormonism uh, and fundamentalism and met my wife, Tanya. And so all those inflection points, they really kind of show progression. Now, one of those moments that happened to me that was a, a major inflection point in my life started with all things a football game. Now, one of the things I'm super passionate about is football, especially the Green Bay Packers. Now, I had a good friend who was an Eagles fan. And this one year in the playoffs, they played this great game. Came down with a wire, and we, we thought, you know, I wonder if they play this next year. And so we started looking when the new schedule came out, and I'll be darned. And then um, about five hours later, we purchased the tickets without talking to my wife, <laughs> which led me to buy a new house. But so there's an exchange rate on that stuff. But anyway, <laughs> this trip to Philly turned out to be one of the most spiritual moments I've had in my life and will forever alter how I looked at certain. And so as we go through this, it, it all starts in, in Philly. And it starts right here, Independence Hall. So me and my buddy Mike were there and we just go take in all the sites. Right, I mean, there's the Liberty Bell. Of course, I gotta get a statue, uh, picture with the Rocky statue. I mean, you can't go to Philly and not do that. The day before the game, though, we said, you know what? Let's go check out Independence Hall. So we go in, go on the ground, get our tickets, and it's actually a national park. It's the weirdest thing. It's right in the middle of the city, but you'll see like park rangers walking around with those great big park ranger hats, and you're like, I don't think you're gonna see Yogi and Boo. But it's it's still a national park. And then everything changed when I went inside. And things got very real very quickly. As I walked in, I wasn't prepared for what was about to happen. The Spirit of the Lord more than just spoke, it shouted to me something important of eternal significance happening right here, and you need to pay attention. In that moment, as the ranger was given the presentation about where all the men were seated here, I could see in my mind's eye, as they sat there and must have just 
agonized over the thought of putting their signature on a document that if they didn't win, meant that they would all hang. Without a doubt, it was the most bold act of treason ever committed anywhere in the world. And it happened there. Park Ranger was very gracious to me. As I sat in there, I was just feeling, I don't know how to explain it, just feeling the importance of, of whatever happened. And I didn't have it all put together yet by any stretch of the imagination. This would single-handedly turn me into the biggest nerd I've ever met myself. Because I get my hands on, I read everything I get my hands on on the subject. And the ranger actually left me in there as he ushered everybody out. He caught me on the way out and said, uh, I see you were going through some stuff. And I wanted to leave you there. In my studies, I was thrilled and humbled and somewhat discouraged when I saw how far off course we were. I was thrilled at times when I could see God's hand move in the early founders and colonists' life. And in some strange way, I think we're back here. We're, we're back here. Now, I want to make it abundantly clear. I am not saying take up arms. We are not there. And I don't think we'll ever be there. So let's get that out of the way right now. We don't need to do that. But I think we're here. Or more appropriately, I think we're right here. Now let me explain this. That's the chair Washington was going to Washington sat in when the Constitution was being hammered out after the Articles of Confederation had fallen apart and they realized they had to move the scale of liberty just a little bit so they could have order. And the whole time, Franklin keeps looking at that chair, not knowing why. And at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, Constitutional Convention, he actually makes a note. He said, and, and they replaced the chair, but you can still see the chair in the museum. There was a son, a half-son, right there on that chair. And he said, gentlemen, this whole conference, as I've heard us debate, and I'm paraphrasing here, as I've heard us argue, I have often wondered, is that a rising sun or a setting sun? I think we're back here. Only, I'm going to submit today, it's still a rising sun. As humans, I think we have a tendency to want to look forward for solutions. And certainly that's a great place to look. But sometimes when we become lost, we need to look back to find our point of origin, then the point of departure so we can get back on track. It is in this looking backwards where I think I have found my answers to some of this. When I discovered that the answer to restoring America, I think what the answer is to restoring America is to restore the covenant. And that's found in the Torah as well, as well as the Doctrine and Covenants and the Book of Mormon. And I think it's really found in three steps. And we're going to talk about each of these. Renew the covenant, be and grow men 
and women of character and virtue, and then help foster another great American awakening. Now, before we just dive into those three, we need to answer a few questions. And uh, this is the question I get asked a lot, especially through the podcast. Because you'll notice my podcast mainly deals with Mormonism, a little bit about health, and really anything I find interesting. But I do a lot with the freedom stuff. The liberty movement is near and dear to my heart. And I get this asked these questions every time I release an episode, without fail. What does this have to do with the restored gospel? And then the other thing, the other thing they say is things are going to happen regardless if I get involved or not. To me, that is one of the most discouraging things I think we as Mormons can be asking the question to, because I think it shows that um, we don't fully understand just how important this is. Let me try to answer this differently. Do you think we could have this gathering here without the First Amendment? Does not happen. This, what we're doing now, is a novelty in all of mankind's history. This is not the norm. This is the exception. So why is it important? What does it have to do with the restored gospel? Look, I'm certainly willing to meet in somebody's basement to do this, but it's a heck of a lot easier when I can come here be comfortable, have my family sitting next to me, know that we're not going to get harassed, and then go grab a burger. That, the burger is important. Um, <laughs> that makes it super, super important. And there's a, um, there's a few other reasons on why it's important. You guys all like Brigham Young? I love me some Brigham. I really do. But Brigham just doesn't. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> Brigham said this When the Constitution of the United States hangs, as it were, upon a thread, they will have to call for the Mormon elders to save it from utter destruction. Brigham Young Journal of Discourses 2, uh, Volume 2, 182. I would submit. Brother, this is a priesthood colony. Who, who do you say they call for? The elders. So what does it matter? Let me answer that question. Priesthood. Next. There's this quote. And we'll revisit this later, by the way. How long will it be before the words of the prophet Joseph Smith will be fulfilled? He said, if the Constitution of the United States were to be saved, it must be by this people. It will not be many years before we see these words come to pass. Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 204. Who's it supposed to be saved by? Who must it be saved by? Us. Us. What's that? I'm sorry, Dave. What is that Brigham Young? That, yes, that is Brigham Young. I apologize. But he is quoting Joseph Smith there. We have to do it. Brigham didn't say, don't worry about it. The Baptists are coming. He didn't say not to worry about it. 
the Catholics got this. And I'm not slamming Baptists and Catholics. There's some great people. But this is ours. This is our call. If you listen to what Brother Brigham had to say. Next. Will the Constitution be destroyed? No. It will be held inviolate by this people. And as Joseph Smith said, the time will come when the destiny of a nation will hang upon a single thread. At that critical injuncture, this people will step forth and save it from the threatened destruction. It will be so. Again, Brigham Young quoting Joseph Smith, Journal of Discourses, seven, uh, Volume 7, page uh, 15. Brigham's got a lot of confidence in this. He's talking about this quite a bit. And he does he's not bashful. Well, that's not necessarily unusual for Brigham. But he, he's very forceful on this. I would submit, if you don't like Brigham, how about this? Doctrine and Covenants, section 98, starting in verse 4, going through 8. Now, this is the Lord talking. And now, verily, I say unto you, concerning the laws of this land, of the land, it is my will that my people should observe to do all things whatsoever I command them. And that law of the land, which is constitutional, supporting that principle of freedom and maintaining rights and privileges, belongs to all of mankind and is justifiable before me. Going on to six. Therefore, I, the Lord, justify you and your brethren in my church in excuse me, befriending the law, which is the constitutional law. The Lord is making it very clear. If it's constitutional, you're good. Going on to seven. As pertaining to the law of man, whatsoever is more or less of this cometh evil. So now the Lord set the condition. The Lord said, as long as it's constitutional, we're good. But you go above that or below that, you're not good. So I think without getting too political, I'm going to stay far away from politics on this. I'm going to stick to printing. Executive orders aren't a great thing. It's more than the Constitution. Finally, in verse 8, And I, the Lord God, make you free. Therefore, ye are free indeed, and the law also maketh you free. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, about another scenario. You've heard from Brigham. You've heard from the Lord on what he thinks of constitutional government, specifically the American Constitution. One way or another, well, let me back up here for just a second. How many of you feel like the Constitution is in great shape right now? How close do you think we are to that whole thing about hanging by a thread? We're there. We're there. Okay. I feel like we've been there for a while. We've been there for a while. Yeah. What I'm going to say next is bold, but I believe it to be true. One way or another, whether it's in this life, whether it's in the next, whether it's in the history book, our kids are going to come to us. Maybe our grandkids and say, Grandpa, what did you do in those times? What are you going to say? I was in the middle of the I hope so. I am. I hope so. I hope so. 
Did we stand by passive or did we take somewhat of a stand? Here's the other thing. These rights, they're not even really ours. They're, our, they're, they're God's and they've been imparted to man. We are the safeguard. We are the guardian at the gate of our children's freedom. So if we have to hand them a country that's less free than what we inherited, we have failed. If we didn't fight, if we didn't stand our ground, if we stand our ground, we've done what we could. I Now I've thought many times how this people will save the constitution. I used to eat daydream about seeing the elders of the Israel riding out in the Rockies, ready to go, fired up. And mainly because it's just a really cool scene, right? I just get to grow up on Rambo. So this one is, this is totally a cool scene. But the older I get, that may happen, that scenario could, could easily happen. But I think there's some work we got to do first. <laughs> and that's back there, those three steps. Those are steps that we can do at home. That's where they should start, but it's enough. It's not like this is a consolation prize. This is enough, and I'll, we'll, we'll get into that more next. All right. So let's move on to the covenant portion of this, because it's important that we know what the covenant is. And that's found in 2 Nephi chapter 1. Pardon me while I get there. I should have had this marked and I didn't. 2 Nephi chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. I'll read that. Here we go. And he also spake unto them concerning the land of promise, which they had obtained. How merciful the Lord God had been in warning us that we should flee out of the land of Jerusalem. For behold, said he, I have seen a vision in which I know that Jerusalem is destroyed. And had we remained in Jerusalem, we should also have perished. But said he, notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise, a land which is choice above all other lands. A land which the Lord God hath covenanted with me should be a land for our for the inheritance of my seed. Yea, the Lord hath covenanted this land unto me and to my children forever, and also to all those who should be led out of our other countries by the hand of the Lord. Wherefore I Lehi prophesy according to the workings of the Spirit which is in me, that there shall none come into this land save they shall be brought by the hand of the Lord. Wherefore, this land is consecrated unto him who he shall bring. And if it so be that they shall serve him according to the commandments which he hath given them, it shall be a land of liberty unto them. Wherefore, they shall never be brought down into captivity. If so, it shall be because of inequity. For if inequity shall abound, cursed shall be the land for their sake. But unto the righteous, it shall be a blessed forever. And behold, it is wisdom that this land should be kept as of yet from the knowledge of other nations. For behold, 
many nations would overrun the land, and there would be no place for an inheritance. Wherefore, I, Lehi, have obtained a promise that inasmuch as those whom the Lord God shall bring out of the land of Jerusalem shall keep his commandments, they shall prosper upon the face of the land, and they shall be kept from all other nations, that they may possess the land unto themselves. If it so be that they shall keep his commandments, if they shall be blessed upon the face of the, of, uh, the land of, excuse me, blessed upon the face of this land, and there shall be none uh, to molest them nor take it away, uh, take away the land of their inheritance, and they shall dwell safely forever. So what did we just read? We read the terms of the contract. We read the terms of the covenant. First, none is going to come to this land unless they have been called by God to do so. I remember when we were living back east. I lived in Maryland for probably, I don't know, pushing two years. And went to Ellis Island a couple of different times. And as I read the accounts of people coming over, this was an immigration that was prompted in many, many cases by God. You could feel the zeal in those folks' accounts as they hit Ellis Island. They had a chance. And they had felt a religious and divine mandate to do so. So that's one condition, is everyone that gets here has been prompted by the Lord. Now, obviously, they're bad actors and that sort of thing, so we can't take everybody. But those who seek honestly for a better place are moved here by the Lord. Um, take that here. Uh, second, if the, the, the second part was, if the inhabitants of the land will serve God, it will be a land of liberty and prosperity. But if the inhabitants turn away, the land will be cursed for their sakes, and they will be brought down even into captivity. Those are the conditions of the covenant. That's the condition of the American government. Now, if you want to know more about the American covenant, there's books out there that are going to do a far better job of explaining this than I can. I think of Tim Ballard's book, The American Covenant. Um, there was one by Jonathan Kahn. I recommend both of those books highly. That will lay it out much better than I did here for the sake of time I had to compare it down. So that's the conditions of the covenant. Follow God, prosper. Disobey God, death and captivity. Now, since God is not a liar, we know that God is true to his word. In 3 Nephi, chapter 9, verse 12, excuse me, uh, chapter 9, Verses 9 and 12, we see the outcome of not keeping the covenant. Um, let's see. And behold, that great city Jacob, which was inhabited by the people of King Jacob, have I caused to be burned with fire because of their sins and their wickedness, which was above all the wickedness of the whole earth because of their secret murders and combinations. For it was... It was they that did destroy the peace of my people and the government of the land. Therefore, I did cause them to be burned, to destroy them from before my face. 
that the blood of the prophets and the saints should not come up unto me any more against them. And many great destructions have I caused to come upon this land and upon this people because of their wickedness and their abomination. Unfortunately, we know that the Nephites ultimately didn't keep the commandments. That particular section talks about when the Lord came the first time to the, to the Americans. And that it was devastating because of their wickedness in many ways. So we know God keeps his promises. So walking up to that covenant is probably a pretty important thing. Now, fortunately, God wasn't finished with America yet. He did inspire others to seek out freedom in this land. The early people who fled the old world were in search of a place which they could practice their religion in a place where they could enjoy the blessings of liberty. They will want to take a stab on who that is. Who? Nope, not in Baylor. What you got? Bradford. Not Bradford. Who? Nope. John Winthrop. So Winthrop, by all accounts, he grows up extremely affluent. He grows up. His his dad's an attorney. Um, he he's raised in a nice manner. I mean, as far as aristocracy goes, he's probably not quite upper aristocracy, but he's got a name, right? He discovers religion. Uh oh. And as he discovers religion, it's not a religion that's sanctioned necessarily by the state. This should sound a little familiar to them. And he realizes he's got to go. But because of his affluent background, he's well educated, he's well liked, he's kind of charismatic, and people follow him. So, somewhere in the mid Atlantic, something interesting happens. Winthrop gives a speech. Only in this speech, there's a covenant. And it's nearly familiar to what we just read before. And I'll read part of that. That covenant would be known as the City on the Hill speech. And uh, here's part of it. I would recommend everyone go look it up. It's incredibly enlightening. And uh, by the way, and you'll see later, this wasn't really available in Joseph Smith's day. So keep that in mind for the next few seconds. Here's the speech he gave. Now, the only way to avoid this present shipwreck and to provide for our prosperity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, walk humbly with our God for this end. We must be knit together in this work as one man. We must entertain each other in brotherly affection. We must be willing to abridge ourselves our own superfluities for the supply of others' necessities. We must uphold a familiar commerce together in all meekness, gentleness, patience, and liberality. We must delight in one another, making others' conditions our own. Work together, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission and community in the work as members of the same body. So shall we keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell amongst us. Come back to that in a second, too. As his own people, and will command a blessing upon us in all ways. 
so that we shall see much more of his wisdom, power, and goodness, truth than formerly we have been acquainted with. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us. When ten of us shall be able to withstand a thousand of our enemies, when he shall make us a praise and a glory that men shall say of succeeding plantations, may the Lord make it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be as a city upon the hill. And this, I think, is kind of a warning and also um, a blessing. The eyes of all people will be upon us. So that if we shall deal falsely with our God in this work, which we have undertaken, and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall may be made a story and a byword word throughout all the world. We shall open the mouths of our enemies and speak to speak evil of the ways of God and all professors for God's sake. We shall, we shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us. So we be consumed out of the good land where we are gone. Does that sound familiar? If we deal falsely with our God, Story in the Bible, meaning we will, we will be looked at as a failure, and we may even be responsible for God being viewed as a failure because we entered that covenant. Also, that part about work together, mourn together, abridge ourselves of our superfluities for the necessities of others, sounds a little bit like Emma at the waters of, of, of baptism in Mosiah. Right? What, what have you against being baptized if you are willing to mourn with one another? Again, Joseph Smith they wouldn't have had access to this at this time. You know that, that he did make it, his colony did thrive. We also know that his prophecies were fulfilled. First, Ten of us withstood a thousand of our enemies. The Revolutionary War is ridiculous when you look at the fact that we won. There is no accounting for that logic. Britain is the naval power. They are have the best army. They're trained. They're supplied. It's crazy that the colonists won that war, but they did. And in doing, they fulfilled the American covenant. If you go back and you look at what Washington was talking about that whole time during the, the war, he's continually sending letters to Congress, call for days of fasting and humiliation before the Lord Almighty. We must rely on the protection of divine providence to win this war. And we saw him here. How many here know the, the miracle of the peace uh, fog off Brooklyn Heights? Okay, this one is one of my favorites. Washington's first battle, he fights it like the British. And he actually wins. He actually wins. So Washington, he's feeling himself a little bit. He's like, yeah, we got this. So he gathers up his armies up in Brooklyn Heights. He's like, we're going to kick them out of here, and we're going to be done with this right now. Unfortunately, that attitude, and Washington actually makes notes of this later, that attitude doesn't necessarily bring upon the protection of divine problems. It's a little private. So he's going to go toe to toe with British up in Brooklyn Heights. Unbeknownst to him, the British had went ahead and sailed ships. 
up by Manhattan. So he was pinned down. In that moment, Washington fell to his knees and prayed for both forgiveness and deliverance. And then in a time of the year when this never happened, they see a fog develop. And not just a little fog. fog. They say it was so thick and so green, it looked like split pea soup. This gets Washington enough time to get his men on rafts along with the cannon and get out of Brooklyn Heights. Had that went, if that battle would have taken place, the revolution would have been over before it began. So we did see miracles. And along with Winthrop's uh, prophecy, the Lord did well enough to the Lord came first. And I believe he's still making appearances from time to time in this land. And that one right there. Okay, I want to apologize for this. I had to take my uh, my PowerPoint presentation. It was done in math, so it was keynote. Then save it back to Windows, and so it covered that. There's a lot of people who like to say, well, the founders were deists. And when you find out what a deist is, it's not real appealing. It acknowledges God. So he winds this bad boy up, and then he says, let's just see what happens. Now, it's fun to do when you're pitting your kids against each other a little bit, see who would win, but not so fun for God. So... This is our first national field. This was the one we used for a lot of years. What you have here, you have Pharaoh and his armies. You have Moses. You have the, the pillar of fire and the cloud. That's a far, that, that's God active involved in the affairs of men, not a deity. And I find it very interesting that this, and Franklin was a big reason for this. He's the one most quoted as being a deity. That's what Franklin wanted. Okay, so we got to keep the covenant. That's step one. Step two is to be men and women of character and virtue. Having a population of people who are moral and virtuous uh, is, is super important. As I did all my looking when I came out of Philadelphia and realized what kind of trouble we were in, my first thought was, okay, this is easy. This is easy. We just got to find Washington. There's got to be someone out there just like George Washington. We got to find Franklin. We got to find Jefferson. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I can't find them anywhere. They may be out there. But I'm pretty sure they're not in Washington, D.C. So stop looking there. Who's that guy? You want to take a stab at that one? John Whitfield. Is that what you said? John Adams. Well, close. He's about the same time. George Whitfield. So Whitfield. Is an Anglican preacher. Comes from England. He is so important to the 
to the revolutionary cause in America, and no one hardly remembers him. I did see a picture of him out here on the wall. So he has this crazy idea one night while studying the scripture. He says, wait, why do I have to have a priest go pray for people? Why do people have to have me pray for them? Why can't they just go to God himself? Uh-oh. Well, you start following that line of reasoning out. Next thing you know, you get to maybe that whole thing about the divine right of kings, monarchs. Maybe that ain't such a big deal. Well, as you can imagine, people in, the, especially the monarchy, they weren't fans of that idea. They liked being the gay people. And he gets into a lot of trouble to the point people throw, throw just bodily fluids at him, everything else. And then in what might be considered one of the most epic backfails in all of human history, they go, I got an idea. Let's send him to the new world. Uh, <laughs> let's get rid of this guy. Let's put him on a boat. Let's send him over there to, to Massachusetts or Philadelphia or somewhere over there. Let's get him out of here. So they send him over there to the colony. This is what Ben Franklin had to say about listening to George Whitman. Um, George Whitfield, when he gets here, kind of a rock star, for lack of a better term. He is feisty in his orations. He is forceful, and he attracts following. Franklin, at first, he's real skeptical. He's like, I don't think so. I don't think that this is this guy's all what he's made out to be. So he goes to listen to him preach. And he says, I happened soon after to attend one of his sermons, in the course of which I perceived he intended to finish with a collection. And I silently resolved he should get nothing from it. I had in my pocket a handful of copper money, three or four silver dollars, and five pistoles, which are Spanish coins and gold. As he proceeded and began, I began to soften and concluded to give him my copper. Another stroke of his oratory. Uh, uh, made me ashamed, and I determined to give my silver. And he finished so admirably. Admirably, excuse me, I can't say it. Thank you. Then I emptied my pocket wholly into the collector's dish, gold and all. He was talking, Whitfield was talking about freedom before the founders really understood. And he was so influential. How many here have heard of the Black Robed Regiment? Okay, good. The Black Robed Regiment. The British wanted to pick them off bit by bit. They were preachers who lit the pulpit on fire with the thought of freedom and revolution. The British looked to actually pick off ordained ministers. Um, let's see here. Now, why did I bring him up here? Because we can't have Washington without Whitney. We're not going to find Washington in D.C. Most likely, we're not going to find him here. We won't find him pretty much anywhere. We're going to have to grow. We're going to have to grow. Which means we're going to have to be Whitfield for the next generation if we want men and women of virtue. We have to do it ourselves. We have to grow. 
with that American covenant, that'll do it. To prove my point on how important religion is in developing a moral and virtuous society, I'm going to do something I hate to do. I'm going to quote a Frenchman. <laughs> Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America is, uh, is probably one of the best treatises on America I've ever read to this day. And he says this getting towards the end. He says, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and glory of America in her rich mines and in her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her public school system. Uh, I could have told her not to look there. <laughs> and her institutions of learning, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her democratic Congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpit flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she's good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. That's a Frenchman. That's that's writing this. But he did. he did a great job. I really debated. I, I have to admit, I had a moment of faltering. I almost I almost tried to change up my talk to the last minute when I was at Disneyland. Complimenting Frenchman, I'm going to talk about spiritual experience at Disneyland. This is stupid. Um, it was the last day at Disneyland. And I was like, you know, I'm tired. I want to sit down. Right? I mean, I've, I've been all over this park. I just want to sit down. And so I see this little theater that had uh, like one of the first anim animatronics ever done. It had Lincoln in it. And so I know this is stupid getting emotional about, but I felt like it was a tender mercy saying, go forward with what I had planned. I went in and I sat down and I listened to this animatronics of Lincoln as he got up and he said, if America ever gets defeated, it's not going to be because of an army. We'll do it to ourselves. Now I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. As I walked out, They were just taking down the flag. And I saw the respect, the pride they had and they did it. And I felt like it was the tender mercy of the Lord. Now, I recognize that many of us are independents. And so this idea of going to a church to be that pulpit in flames, it's okay. He's not talking about the building. He's talking about the teaching. If we want to raise the next Washington, the next Franklin, the next Jefferson, we have to instill in our kids a healthy love and respect for God. That's how we get men and women of virtue. That's how we find the next Washington in front of them. Now, with these two things, the end of the slide. Wow. With these two things, we 
we come to the to the last part. If you restore the covenant, if you raise men and women of virtue, and seek to be men and women of virtue ourselves, we can cause another great American awakening. Now, many historians will say that there's been four great awakenings. I disagree entirely. I think we have to. I think it's only two. Um, the first started in about 1630, which coincidentally was about the time, you know, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, John Winthrop is coming on. A few years after that. Lasted from 1630 to the end of the Revolutionary Period. That awakening had the effect of helping foster a climate where the principles of liberty could be fully realized and lived. The second was in about the 1820s through the close of the Civil War, which led to the windows of heaven being burst open for the restoration of the gospel. These awakenings that happen in America, they produce something. God and I have an interesting relationship. I'm probably his most petulant child. And I also seem to ask the stupidest questions. And I, I've been asking this question for quite a few years. What's going to come first? A third grade awakening or the return of the Savior? And I kept going back and forth on this. And I can tell you where, where I was when I got my answer. Of all places, it was at the gym. I was the second bench down, and I was mid-rep, thinking about this question, and just, just a few words. Why do you think they're mutually exclusive? And it hit me like a ton of bricks for about 285 pounds of plates. And I, uh, I thought about that a lot thought about that a ton. <clears throat> um, when the Savior came the first time, his mortal his, for his mortal ministry, the conditions on the ground had to change first. There needed to be a forerunner. Who, who was that individual? It was John the Baptist. Now, if the Lord is a God on which we can rely, we must also say that he is a God who is consistent with how he deals with his children. If a forerunner was desired by God to make way for the Savior the first time, perhaps there needs to be another appointed for his return. But perhaps this time, not just one person. Maybe it's a great way. It'll be a people who've been prepared, a people who have espoused correct principles. A people who are awake, a people who are prepared to receive their Savior, a people who believe and live by the principles of this nation on which it was founded, a people who have who help others to see America's divine destiny in the plan of the Almighty. We know that the winding up scenes of this phase of history, the Lord will return to this land first, Adam on Diana. This land must be prepared. It must once again have an awakening, awakening to its divine inception 
through the various dispensations. To have this happen, well, let me stop right there. I'm not sure there's been a time in history where the Lord is going to ask of people as much as he's going to ask of us. Because we have something different to do that I don't think has ever been done. In one hand, we're going to have to proclaim the everlasting gospel, the restored gospel. In the other, I think we're going to have to evangelize the Constitution. I think the two go hand in hand in these winding up scenes. Brigham certainly thought so, right? Did he say the Constitution was going to be destroyed? He said no. He said this people will be involved, won't violate it. We'll hold it. We'll keep it safe. Now, like Washington in those early days of Brooklyn Heights, there's nothing more I would love to do than to make some dramatic showing where we show up in Washington, D.C. and say, if you're not using the Constitution, can we have it? Unfortunately, that's not going to fly. That's not going to fly. We're going to have to be subtler in our approach. And that's where these three steps come in. Here's the good news. If you're here tonight, you're uniquely qualified. I didn't see a single hand go up when I said, how do you think the Constitution's doing this case? You recognize, you know it, you see it. You are uniquely qualified. So yes, it's a big work we have in front of us. But it's a work that I believe we're all uniquely qualified to do. Um, in conclusion, I want to refer you back to something Winthrop said. I said we'd circle back to. See if I can find it real quick. One right here. The eyes of all the people are upon us. Been that way since America's been founded, right? That way today. Well, if they're staring, let's give them something to look at anyway. Here's, and, and I'm going to talk about this on the podcast in the upcoming weeks. This year, my family and I, we've made a choice. Starting in June, we'll be renewing that. Darn it. Me and my family will be renewing the covenant in the walls of our own home. I'm going to be finding everything I can get my hands on, and I'll be happy to share it with anybody. We'll renew that covenant at home. We'll raise our kids to be moral and virtuous, or die trying. And we'll evangelize the Constitution second only to the gospel. But it will be enough to ignite another great awakening. And in so doing, we will prepare this land again for the return of the Savior. Brothers and sisters, I just want to leave you now with my testimony. I know that the Lord lives. The Lord is not what Many scholars wish the founders believed he was. He's not the god of the deals that simply wind up the, the hands of time and then step back and watch it run. 
He's a God that's actively involved in all of our lives, in the micro and uh, macro. He knows who we are. He knows we each have a responsibility here. He's eager to help us fulfill that. I want to bear testimony that I know the Savior still lives. He, he still continues his healing ministry. I have felt him heal my broken heart time after time. As I had to go to him time after time and repent, say, you know what, I really messed this up. Help me. The Savior stands ready to heal still. And I know the Savior is still involved in America. And I want to bear testimony. The Lord is not done with the United States of America yet. And I have confidence in that because of what Joseph said and what Brigham said. And I know each of us have a part to play in it. And I want to leave this with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's it. Those are the three steps I came up with. Renew the covenant. Be and grow men and women of character and virtue. And finally, this should help spark the third great awakening. Now, let me start with the first one, renewing the covenant. I alluded to this in my talk that I gave. What I'm doing with my family is I'm compiling everything I can get my hands on on the American covenant, and I've condensed it down to what I feel are the most vital and important parts. Me and my family until the 4th of July will study this every night and learn what it means to engage in the American covenant. On the 4th, I would invite you to go to the website next week. And there for absolutely free, I have the document that I've created in a PDF. And you can download that. I would invite you to do the same thing with your family. Until the 4th of July, study that document. Talk about it with your family. Figure out what it means to engage in the American, uh, the American covenant. And then on the 4th of July, I hope you would join me and my family individually in our own homes with our families around us after the last hamburger's been ate after the last soda's been drank, after the last firework is seen, gather your family and take the covenant. Sign your name on the document and then hang it on the wall for all to see. Let everybody who enters the threshold of your home know where you stand in relation to the American covenant, that you are engaging in that covenant. And again, you can get that document starting next week on the website for free. Now, let's move on to the second part of that, which is being and creating men and women of virtue and character. I thought long and hard about how to do this, and the answer was right under my nose the whole time. I just didn't realize it until I just happened to glance over at a book and see it, and it's this book here. This is George Washington's Rules for Civility and Decent Behavior in Company and Conversation. This book was written in the 1700s by Washington to help refine a society, to teach them how to behave in public and how to be men and women of character and virtue. Um, since April, I have sat down. There's 110 axioms in there. I sat down 
and I updated them for the 21st century. Let me give you an example. One of the axioms Washington said was, when you're in a conversation, don't look at your papers. The modern version of that would be when you're having a conversation with someone, don't look at your phone, right? Real easy stuff. And it does get a little bit harder there. Again, I have rewrote this book for this. How it's laid out, and you can find a sample of this at the website at the very bottom of the page in the blog post. You can see a sample of what it's like. But essentially, I took Washington's original axiom. Under that, I gave the modern interpretation. And then below that, I gave anywhere from one to three examples of um, where you would use this in everyday life. Now, be, that book is in the printers right now getting ready to be printed. You have the opportunity to pre-order that book now. And I anticipate starting to send those out uh, probably next week, late next week. Now, I've given you a couple options on how to purchase this book because it cost me some money to do. Um, for the hard copy, and, and also I should mention there's a workbook that goes along with it. And you can see a copy of the workbook as well. I highly encourage you to get the workbook as well because it's going to help you step by step go through this book with your family to be able to um, teach them how to be men and women of character and virtue. So I've given you a couple options on how to buy this. If you want hard copies of both the book and the workbook, you can buy those separately. For just the book, it's $20. For just the workbook, it's $30. Now, if you buy the set, I'm going to give that to you for $45. That's a savings of 10%. And then you have it on your shelf forever. Now, I'm giving you kind of an ebook option. So if you want the ebook, you can buy that individually for $15. If you want the e workbook individually, that's $20. And then if you just can't get enough of my voice, and wow, I can't imagine someone would want to do that on purpose, but I do have an audio version that I read the book for $20. If you want all three of those, again, I'm selling that for $45, but that's a savings of 20%. So those are your options how to buy it. You can buy, buy everything separately, pick and match what you want, or you can go ahead and you can buy those packages either in a hard copy or an ebook. Go on there and check it out. To purchase those, go to the website, click on that PayPal button, and then just in the notes there where it says what it's for, tell me what you want, whether it's just the hard book, the hard copy of the book, or the, the workbook, or again, the e-versions, or the package. Package one is hard copy. Package two is the ebook version. Go on there now, order those, and I'll get those sent out late next week. As far as the third step, I have, I have an idea for that, but I'm not ready to tip my hand on that yet. But it's coming within weeks, not months. So, again, stay tuned for that. Again, next week, I have another major announcement coming for the show that I want you all to tune in for because, again, this is huge. And th this one has nothing to do with, with the Constitution or anything else. 
but tune in next week for that for that next major announcement until then again i can't tell you how much i love you and appreciate you the audience for everything you have done as i have tried to muddle my way through this podcast and i'm just going to say this i look so forward to meeting you i don't know how it's going to happen but I've had it impressed upon my heart that at some point we're going to be able to meet and it's going to feel awesome when we do. So until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. You're listening to the Mormon Renegade Podcast.